friends. Welcome to the Mobile Mongo Podcast, where we go behind the scenes in the cheese world to chat with people making, selling, or distributing your favorite specialty food products. I'm your host, Janae Muha, certified cheese professional, longtime cheesemonger, and producer advocate. Of all of the careers in cheese, an affineur is not one you come across often. They stay hidden in humidity and temperature-controlled closed quarters, doing the repetitious work of preparing cheese for the perfect moment that it can be shipped or eaten. When Josh Windsor started posting his musings on Instagram at the beginning of the pandemic, it felt like getting an inside look into a secret world. We're taking it out of the caves and into your ears with this conversation with Josh, and we chat about what his job entails as an affineur at Murray's Cheese Caves, and the true dedication he had getting himself into cheese in the first place. Uh, so my name is Josh Windsor. I am the caves manager at Murray's Cheese, so I'm oftenor by trade. Um, I'm actually fairly new to the cheese industry. I've only been doing this a little under six years and uh, Murray's has been my only home in the, in the cheese industry. Um, so prior to working in cheese, I was a systems integrator. So I designed security systems like card access, video surveillance, that kind of thing, and made them integrate with other systems in buildings. Um, I did that for almost 20 years, uh, and it wasn't work that I actually enjoyed doing. I stayed in the industry just because I, I really liked the people I worked with, but not the work itself. Uh, and so I often tell people that I uh, sublimated that, <laughs> not loving my job, uh, by a, a ritual that I implemented called Beer and Cheese Sundays. Uh, so every Sunday, I would pair beers and cheese. I was living in the Northwest at the time, uh, so beer was abundant, cheese was abundant. Um, and often I would like bring, um, go to go to microbreweries, fill a growler, growler bring it to the cheese counter. Uh, De Laurenti and Pike Place Market was my my go to uh, counter of choice, and just start asking questions about what would pair well with it, and or what's new in the case, or what have I never tried before. Once I start developing relationships with the the mongers there, uh, and I did that pretty much every Sunday for I think almost eighteen years, uh, and developed a, a deep passion for cheese. Uh, through that. And really, um, you know, uh, Rachel Lucas was a, a monger there. Uh, and she was, you know, just really opened my eyes to kind of the world of cheese uh, and um, the stories behind the cheese and like ways to think about pairing and, and serving cheese. Um, and I started buying books on cheese. And so it, it always was something that, that like I was developing a deeper, deeper interest in. Um, and then about five and a half years ago, I moved back to New York City and had an opportunity to leave that industry. And so uh, I got, got a chance to ask myself the question, like, what are things that I love and how can I do those for, for a living? And cheese was at the top of that list. Um, and I had really no idea outside of like mongering or making cheese, what a career in cheese would look like. I figured I probably wasn't gonna be a cheese maker in New York City. Um, and I didn't know if I had it in me to do retail again uh, at that stage of my life. Uh, but it was willing to, if, you know, it was a, if it was a start. So I just started looking around, uh, good food jobs boards, you know, anywhere where I could find information about it. And I came across two internships in the city. One was for crown finish caves as an offenor, and one was for Murray's cheese as an offenor. and Murray's cheese was the only one that called me back of the, of the two. I applied for both. And my, my hope was, cause they were both part-time is that I could get them 
both and like do them at the same time. Uh, I'm so glad that didn't happen because I probably would have killed myself. <laughs> I had no idea how much physical labor affinage was uh, going into it. Um, so yeah, so I started as a caves intern, uh, learning uh, on the job from the the team here at Murray. It's like what what affinage is, how you go about it, um, and then it just circumstances happened to be that the caves assistant um, uh, left two weeks before my internship was up, and um, they offered me the job at the end of at the end of the internship. So I was able to continue on in affinage uh, from that, and just kind of work my way up. Uh, through various posi positions within the caves and so awesome um let's talk about affinage what does your daily um task list i guess look like um in in the caves yeah so it's um it's so affinage is a very repetitious job um you know so we have we have four caves uh each dedicated to a different style of affinage um and each cave has maybe three to six different cheeses in it that we that we work on. Um, and depending on the size of the cheese and the style of the cheese, it kind of determines how long the cheese needs to stay in the caves in order to age. Uh, and then the various tasks that are that that um, are performed on it. So, you know, smaller format, softer cheeses have a shorter period of time in the cave. We eat those cheeses much younger and then bigger format, uh, firmer cheeses, um, heavier cheeses are in for a much longer period of time. And so usually a lot of the uh, um, work is determined by, what's the best way to put this? Um, the repetition is much faster and close together for smaller cheeses and longer and more drawn apart. Um, so each cheese has its own rhythm and its own cycle that kind of fit together in this like elaborate interconnection Venn diagram of what the work uh, is. So like a Monday, Monday is typically a day where we ash our Loire Valley cheeses. So we have three uh, goat cheeses that we bring in from the Loire Valley um, in the classic shapes, Valencais, St. Mar and uh, Seltzershire. Those we ash in a vegetable ash um, solution. So we use a wet ash uh, on them. Uh, those all get put onto stainless steel carts. We put those in our drying room um, and then we dry them out over the course of a week through a staged uh, drying. So every Monday has that ashing step. And then that particular cheese then gets flipped daily on its first week and then flipped every other day on its second week in the Bloomy Cave and then gets wrapped. So that has a very regular schedule for me. Um, and those come I in, those come in super fresh and young and really no rind or anything on them like how do those come into the caves so those come in and cryovac so they're sealed in a vacuum seal bag um on the so those come by boat um otherwise people would be spending an arm and a leg to get that cheese which is not great uh, we do try to keep our costs down as much as possible uh so they they come by boat uh and so typically i don't know if and it, it, the, so the route of European cheeses coming to, to Americas is circuitous. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of touch points where, you know, cheeses get consolidated into containers and then, you know, negotiates and going across seas and then coming through borders and going through all the various customs and then bonding warehouses and all that. And then they come to us. That, that whole process from make to finish is about 40 days. So once they seal them and we have them here at our shop, they're 40 days. You know, usually those cheeses would be ashed in a day or two after after being salted and, and rested. Um, the the sealing them in a vacuum bag uh, halts that aging a, 
a bit, quite a bit, uh, but not completely. Um, so they are aging a little by the time they get to us. And actually we found that they, if they age longer in the bag, they bloom a little better. Uh, in our case, there's a little bit of yeast development that happens um, on that. And yeast is a deacidifier and it really helps kickstart the whole aging process on a lot of cheeses um, for that. So yeah, so very roundabout way. They look and feel like they're three days old, but technically they're about 45 days old. Cool. That's, I mean, that's, thank you for that information. Cause I, you know, knew it took a long time for them to come over, but like, I don't know how that works out when you're, you know, so continue on Mondays, you're ashing those delightful yeah. cheeses and. And then uh, the rest of the week, it kind of, kind of piecemeals together based upon the rhythm, the rhythms of the cheese. Cause a lot of cheeses, like particularly cheeses that you're washing or um, tending to a very fast growing rind, um, you're more actively involved in them when they're first in the caves and then it kind of tapers off over over time. So like wash rind cheeses, which are cheeses that get washed in a, in a brine solution of some sort, usually get washed, you know, depending on the size of them every other day or every three days uh, when they first come into the caves and then maybe twice a week and then maybe once a week. And so if you have several batches of those, you're kind of, you know, the youngest ones are getting washed a lot. The other ones are getting washed uh, less and less. Um, so that kind of piecemeals together. And then the older cheeses, then you kind of layer that work in on top of it. So today was a Friday. Fridays are the days of um, everything that I didn't get to the rest of the week, <laughs> as opposed to uh, things that are like on a more uh, rigid schedule, which this week happened to be most of our Alpine style cheeses. So our big, large format uh, cheeses. So today I had a little bit of washing in our wash cave for a couple hours to some um, small format wash rinds, and then really tended to Tarantase, uh, which is a cheese from Springbrook Farm that we age. Uh, Annalise, uh, which is a cheese unique to us, uh, but made by Walter Ross out of uh, Tuberschwell, Switzerland. And uh, there's another cheese that I've already forgotten at this point. <laughs> it happens. I well, I was going to ask, like, how many cheeses do you usually have in rotation in the caves at any given point? Yeah, so we have a couple of different kind of categories that we think of uh, in our caves. So we have what are called our cage age reserves. Uh, and these are cheeses that where um, we, uh, they're an existing cheese out in the market that we're either, we're changing in some way when they come into our caves. Either they're a cheese that just being in our environment changes the profile in some way, either aroma or texture, um, or they're cheeses where we're actually doing an entirely different affinage um, regime on them. So cheeses in that, I mentioned Tarantase. Tarantase is, um, is uh, you know, a, an homage to the, the Beaufort um, Abondance, um, you know, large format mountain cheeses of the Jura region, uh, but it's made in Vermont. Uh, we bring that in at a, usually between four and six months old. So kind of like if we were a comp day, um, often we're about that same age and then age it out to uh, typically we try to get it to about 11 or 12 months when we release it on that. So that would be a cave age reserve. Um, and those are always those the, the, the cheeses in those in those categories are always in production. So we're, we always have them available unless there's like some crazy run on the cheese and, you know, it takes a while to age out another batch. Um, and then the Greensward, which is our uh, wash ranch cheese that we do, uh, that is that is actually Harbison from Jasper Hill. So it starts out as a bloomy rind uh, cheese, but we treat it as a wash ranch cheese. So we wash it in a salted brine um, uh, cider solution. 
and so like make it really bacony and meaty as opposed to sprucey and berry, which is like the classic Harbison profile. Um, so all of those are, are cheeses that are in regular production. Right now, I think, I think we have, there was a couple that kind of disappeared during the pandemic, but I think we're at about 16 of those cave, cave age reserve. Uh, and then we have our cave age originals, which are cheeses that we've actually developed the recipe for um, here amongst our affinage team. So uh, Peter Jengalunas and Krista, ja Krista, yeah, Krista Jacobson uh, and, and I have like worked to, to develop those. Um, and those are things like uh, Stocking Hall, which is our cloth bound cheddar, 801010, which is a mixed milk, uh, washed brine kind of telegio format cheese. And our newest one is buttermilk basque. So those, all three of those are made for us by Old Chatham uh, in upstate New York. But we, we either like with Stocking Hall, we developed that recipe up um, at the Cornell Dairy Lab, Stocking Hall, where it gets its name. Uh, and then worked with the head cheese maker at Old Chatham to train them on, on the make and then kind of slowly, you know, transitioned it into their facility. Um, and then the other two we actually developed at Old Chatham. So we would just go up on Saturdays when they weren't making other cheese and figure out the recipe and then uh, work with them on, on getting that into production. And those, so we have the three of those uh, right now. So we have the 16 cave aged, uh, reserves with the three cave age originals and then we have our limited edition cheeses uh, and we do about 12 of those a year and these are where we just you know think as far outside the box as we can usually um, or something that's only seasonal that we can only get for a short period of time um, and so those can be across the board on it right now so the next one we're releasing is a hundred percent uh, small format sheet milk tome that is uh, completely coated multiple times in a olive oil infused with Szechuan peppercorn and then develops a natural natural rind uh, so things that like, you know, are outside of traditional um, uh, trajectories for cheeses uh, often fall in that category. Um, yeah, uh, we age, uh, we do a DO Manchego that we actually age in Long Island City uh, for a year uh, that yeah, around the holidays, that's in our limited edition series. So those kinds of things. Sweet. And you mentioned two other people on the Affinage team. Is there just three of you that really work in the caves or do you have more people that come in and put their hands on some cheese? Yeah, there's one other person who puts their hands on cheese. So uh, Louis Laguerre uh, handles, he's, uh, he's our caves assistant. So he, he predominantly works on the cheddars, handles all of our wrapping. So every single small format cheese is hand wrapped by Louis Laguerre. Uh, which is you know, still astounding to me. <laughs> that is just one person all week, just hand wrapping every single cheese and labeling it. But yeah, so so PJ is the director of affinage and, and our department also shares uh, responsibilities uh, as the QA uh, department for, for all of Murray's. So uh, Krista is the QA manager and then does some affinage as well. She used to be the games manager before me. So we have three, three people who are like, you know, really know a lot dedicated to affinage. Lewis, Lewis is, is learning the ropes on the, on the natural cave right now. And so all of these cheeses are basically sold just within the Murray shop in New York, or do these make their way? I mean, also you guys do uh, mail order and whatnot. So like e-commerce, e-commerce, so you can like, where do you get these cheeses basically? Yeah, so we have our retail, so that that's New York City. So we have a flagship store in the West Village. Uh, we have a store in Grand Central. 
in the in the arcade there, and then we have a, a restaurant and retail space in Long Island City as well called Cheese Bar. Uh, so that's where you can walk up and get get all of those cheeses. Uh, E-commerce, yeah. So we serve um, the, you know, the U.S. Uh, is we can ship um, cheeses uh, around. Those are all available through our website, uh, through e-commerce. Uh, and then uh, Murray's Cheese is a subsidiary of Kroger. Um, so there, we do we work and develop a lot of the the cheese kiosks around the country at Kroger stores and Kroger affiliated stores, the Kroger family of stores. So Ralph's and QFC and Mariano's and Harris Teeters and all, all of those, uh, many of them have uh, Murray's. And so some cheeses that we're able to scale up have started to show up there. So we, this just this last year, we started uh, working on getting stocking hall, our cloth bound cheddar available in those as well um, for that. There was a brief time where Greensward was available nationally and that turned out to um, before more production than we can actually handle in the games. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's a lot of production because I mean the uh, Kroger Murray's kiosks are there's a lot of them now. I have no idea how many there are. I well, I was just talking at ACS to someone about it, and I thought that there was only like three or four hundred, and they said it was. I feel like it was closer to like almost up to a thousand or something around that. Yeah, it's, where it's been. Yeah, that's a lot of production. <laughs> <laughs> for any cheese yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and it i mean just to just to kind of give a comparison um you know our we, we're aging in queens in new york city so space is is a premium um you know our caves are about the size of my apartment in brooklyn <laughs> maybe a little bit bigger uh it's not a ton of space so we maximize it as best we can and still make sure that everything has the appropriate amount of air. And there's a lot to think about in that realm of a small space and how to use it um, appropriately, but still give the cheese what it needs. Exactly. Yeah. Airflow is big in aging cheese. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you kind of mentioned it, but this little collaboration between Murray's and Jasper Hill, uh, Green's word, just one third place at the American Cheese Society judging and competition, um, best in show. So I just wanted to talk to you about like kind of how you feel about um, something that you've put your hands on so much as now like considered uh, some of the, one of the top tier cheeses in the United States. Like, what does that feel like for you? Um, it's great. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's always, it's always great to win awards. Uh, and then when you don't win any, you're like, ah, Awards mean nothing. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, one of the things I find really fascinating about awards in general is they're really like they're really awarded to a specific cheese, right? The cheese that's sitting in front of that the, those judges on that particular day, and you know we're really small production. So when it came time, we don't like age specific cheeses for the the awards. We just pull from you know whatever we we're aging at the time. So when it came time to to you know, a week, a week before we needed to ship cheese out, we went to the caves and we're like, oh, we have two batches of Greensward that are two weeks apart. And it's, you know, has a shelf life of about six to seven weeks. Uh, which one do we think is going to be ready <laughs> at, the, at the time of it? Uh, and then, you know, we debate with how quickly we think the cheese is breaking down and going to be at that perfect gooiness uh, on a specific day and time. And we fingers crossed that we got it right. Uh, and then we look at an entire batch of cheese that we've already wrapped 
you know, so we have, have a it's semi-translucent paper, so we have a rough idea of what it looks like underneath. Uh, and then assemble the eight or 10 cheeses that are required for, for submission on it. Um, so it's always just a shot in the dark. And then, and then remembering what that batch tasted like based <laughs> upon your notes when you, when you find out you went, everyone, like, so one of the questions I get asked a lot is, uh, from, from mongers is, is how much does the, the cheese we're selling now differ from the one that won? And I'm like, I don't have that memory at all. I'm like, I'm just pretty close. I mean, my, my goal is that it always tastes the same, um, you know, but consistent there are, there's always variability on it. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's just, it's really, it's, the thing that's great about the awards is, is more just a coming together, you know, like often, often I like just seeing the list and being reminded of a cheese that I haven't tried in a long time uh, and seeing it getting recognized, you know, or, or creameries that have popped up that I had no idea existed and just putting, putting things on my radar that maybe I hadn't been considering before is probably the biggest thing for me. I mean, you know, before I got into the cheese world, when culture, magazine used to publish the ACS awards that was like as a cheese nerd that was like a big moment because you know it was just like you know this world of cheese you know early on in the internet most cheesemakers weren't even on it and so so it was really the only time I got to to even hear about a lot of these cheeses and what was what was being done and that I, you know I think that's the big value in it. Yeah, without the Festival of Cheese at the at conference, we're not able to taste the exact batches when it happens anymore. But I also really love the idea of you just being like, I don't know, just send that and that's that's just going to be what it is. I prefer that because if you are being consistent as a cheesemaker and offenor, then like your stuff is great all the time. So let's let's reward that. I think that is a beautiful thing in and of itself. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then you just catch, you know, and, and when you do it that way, it's like it's on a specific day. And for like for for younger cheeses or like smaller format cheeses, you know, it, it just could be the luck of the draw on that on that day. You know, if, if it had been five days earlier, it would be an entirely different set of cheeses. Well, and it's, you know, as much as we try to take the subjectivity out of judging, obviously, personal preferences are always going to play a part in judging. There's just, there's no way around it. Um, so, you know, something that like one judge might love, another judge might not particularly love. So it's all just kind of like up in the air anyway. So it's nice to reward people for all of the hard work. And that's why I'm really excited to be a part of JNC. But I also understand that there's like, it's not the end all be all, but it's just very exciting when you win an award. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, you know, it's fun to wear the battles around for a night. <laughs> Hear the clink. <laughs> yeah. Um, so over the pandemic, you kind of uh, showed up a lot on on the old Instagram. And that's how I started interacting with your content. And you post beautiful pictures from the cave, but you also um, delve into philosophy and art references. Um in your Instagram feed and you're able to really blend the art and science in words on Instagram. And like, how does that transfer when you're in the caves actually doing your daily tasks? Like, um, yeah, I, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't know if I thought about that. Uh, so I think 
one of the things about affinage, particularly affinage during the pandemic, so I should, I should, I should first state during the pandemic, I actually stepped away from the case for a period of time to oversee the pandemic response for, for Mary's cheese. So that Instagram account was started as I started that Instagram account just because I realized I was not spending as much time with cheese in my daily job as I wanted to. And it was just a way to kind of connect myself to the work that I was going back to and now back to um, at the time. Uh, so it was always kind of, you know, to be a place about random musings about cheese, you know, and just like, you know, a reminder to myself about what it was that I loved about cheese and why I wanted to, to stay in it um, for the long term and go back back specifically to affinage. Um, but a lot of affinage work is done as solitary work. Um, one, they're just not a ton of affineurs and usually a cheesemaker will only have you know, one, even if they have a full-time affinor, it is one full-time affinor. There's not a lot of affinage teams um, in the U.S. I used to think there were lots of affinage teams in France, and then I started learning there's not even a lot of affinage teams elsewhere. Uh, it is very, very, very tiny uh, world of people dedicated to affinage um, from that. But it's it's solitary work, and it's repetitious work. You know, you have to, and you, you there's, there's a level of consciousness that you have to have in order to do the work that like you have to be aware of the cheese that you're working on you're constantly assessing it um it's very hands-on it's very tactile uh, and you're you're making decisions on that that being said you're also usually in a semi-dark environment where it's you know relatively cool high humidity usually like for me it is we have a forced water system that sprays white noise mist uh, throughout the entire time you're in there, there's the hum of the fans. Uh, it is very conducive to daydreaming, uh, and and so so I think a lot of what you what, what you see like those connections of things are just kind of where my mind wanders as I'm working. You know, thinking about cheese and other things, books that I was reading on the on the subway ride in, and you know how how those things all kind of piece together. Just a, it's a little stream of consciousness, I guess, in that way. I, I mean, that I think that's great. I just, uh, that question kind of came to me because I pull tarot cards every morning just to kind of, you know, have a thought about the day. And there's one card in particular, and I can't remember the exact number of it, but it's one of the pentacles. And the whole point is that it's about finding joy in the ordinary work and in the ordinary day-to-day -day tasks that you do. And like, that's how you grow and learn. And, you know, so I'm always trying to be like, what am I doing every day? Like sitting and editing photos is not like the most fun thing, but how can I find joy in that, you know, to hopefully get better and also to not hate my life every day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, for me, having that contrast of the of the pandemic work which was like very you know desk oriented or like you know training oriented as opposed to affinage which is like really physical you know like a lot of the things that i write about is is kind of the science behind affinage but that's not a hundred percent necessary in order to do the job like you know a lot of the times you can you can you can learn it as a craft and through like mimicking other people and and, and 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 learning that way um the more is it like a trade i would say um and i just found that i i really enjoyed the physical labor like i, I had to be moving and and to to really keep my mind active 
um, that I that like not not being physically active also kept me from being mentally active in a way that, I, that surprised me. I wasn't aware of that about myself until I stepped away from it, um, which makes me rethink the first part of my life. But <laughs> but you know, and that's also a personal thing. We so we have a you know, as I said, I started as a caves intern, uh, and we run an internship. What it's been on a hiatus. We're actually I'm going to be I think posting. Yeah, like mid-August, uh, so that we're going to bring it back uh, for a two and a half month run, see how it goes, and, and figure it out in this new new world, uh, and then hopefully bring uh, it back every quarter uh, moving forward on it. Um, but prior to, to the pandemic, we had one or two interns in the caves all the time, so I was constantly every three months training new people on this. And you know, like like most people who who started were like me, they were like cheese caves, I'm in, and they show up and they're like, what is this work? You know, it's like. Like I'm sanitizing things constantly, and there's like you know I'm dipping my hands in water and the cold constantly, uh, and you know some people like fall in love with it like I did. A lot of people are like, I this is not for me. I cannot do this, and like are gone within three weeks. Uh, it it you learn a lot about yourself doing game work. Well, and I would have to imagine too that if you went into the pandemic response team from the caves, that's also um, a I would say everywhere, but especially New York had such a traumatic um, introduction, I guess, to the pandemic. Like, I feel like in Seattle, it kind of like started and we we're like, oh, okay, we're the first ones. Wow, this is really scary. But I feel like New York definitely had a more traumatic um, version of it. So I think that probably trying to, I'm going to postulate here that you were probably trying to connect to something that felt normal to you in a time that was very much not normal. Um but yeah. if you have any thoughts on that of like it being a really traumatic time and you not being in the caves. Yeah, it was, um, it was a very ambiguous time. Um, you know, I think just, just the danger uh, of it, but then also the, the regulatory aspects, particularly at New York state, I mean, played out on the national, you know, we had a, a mayor and a governor who were constantly at odds over public health, uh, very vocally at it and issuing different sets of criteria uh, we were supposed to be operating under. Uh, and eventually at one point we had like, our company was like, had seven different sets of, of opera, like uh, regulatory documents that we had to operate because they did it by industry sector and we do a lot of different things we have restaurants and retail and warehousing and transportation and each one was written by a different committee and an entirely different set of criteria so like managing that uh and then that would change every three weeks and yeah it was there, there was just a lot of that kind of fluctuation so i think i think also um the assurance of repetition in Avenage was, was definitely a part of that as well uh, and a joy to be back to right yeah. Well, what are you looking forward to? Like, um, you know, you've been doing this for a while now. Do you want to hang out in the caves for longer and just be a cave Josh? Or are you uh, looking for something new or what What are you what are you thinking? Uh, you know, I just got back into the caves this year. Um, so I'm, I'm you know, it's hard for me to think past that too much. Um, you know, I. I like working with cheese. I like having my hands on the cheese. Um, I'm excited about, you know, just where this, this particular program goes. Um, it's been, you know, the, the caves at Murray's have had a pretty long history now. I think 2004 was when it first started uh, and it was underneath the, the store at Bleecker. 
Um, and it was really like, it was really more, this is my new French term, I just learned this uh, this week, it was more uh, focused on revivage, uh, you know, kind of the post affinage treatment on the Rhine that happens after, after affinor uh, releases it. So the things that, that mongers would be doing to, to keep cheeses intact, in particularly since we're importing so many European cheeses, like it was an opportunity to kind of bring those to, to, the, to a, a better state for for sale on that and then you know through a lot of different different people over the years um th just thinking creatively about what what that could be and become and then the cave is moving here to long island city and getting a little larger um and i think i think in the last couple of years we've really focused on being as original as we can in in the caves and 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 pushing ourselves to think about like you know what isn't on the market or what aren't people doing or where where can we experiment in ways that other other places can't um and and just be a center for that kind of creativity uh and so we have a lot of projects on the horizon that i'm just really excited about so i don't want to leave until those are done and then i, I you know just knowing myself there are going to be other projects on the horizon um so you know it's going to be hard to tear away if i do i mean at some point the, the physical labor is going to be difficult to do and i will have to step away from it um you know obviously i love writing about cheese and talking about cheese so that's probably some aspect of it um hopefully i'll have some time again i used to teach a lot at the at the classrooms here at at Murray's prior to the pandemic, and I haven't been able to do that in a long time. So I love getting out in the public and blowing people's minds about cheese. Well, I wasn't really expecting you to come out with like, oh, I have a new job and I'm leaving very soon, especially considering that you said you were in a job that you hated for 20 years. So I feel like yeah. <laughs> you do like your repetition and your, <laughs> your yeah, security. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, change is not my, my forte. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay that's okay um i have three final questions the kind of speedish round um are you ready yes i'll try to be brief as you notice oh, it, gravity is not my strong point either it's whatever i mean nobody ever is it's okay um what is your current cheese crush oh my current cheese crush so i'm terrible at this question uh so Usually it's the last cheese that I just had. The last cheese that I just had, uh, we uh, we got our hands on some green Montealva and I was able to um, cure it in gochujang. Um, so so the a spicy fermented uh, chili pepper and age it out to about seven months. I just tried it for the first time today. Uh, and it was far better than I expected it to be. Uh, no bitterness, which I was really shocked about. Not as spicy as I wanted it to be, but but it was, it was pretty good, satisfying. Um, Current cheese crush beyond that. Um, I have really actually, so I had two cheeses that I absolutely loved when we were at ACS. Uh, bamboozle, wash, uh, goat's milk, uh, large format, kind of a style of cheese I don't get to see a lot of, but it reminded me a lot of like Capricharm, um, which is Belgian wash rind cheese. I love that cheese. So uh, bamboozle really, really uh, took my heart uh, when I had tried that and um i tried prairie prairie tome from green dirt uh which is sheep's milk natural rind cheese love me a natural rind and that was fantastic I, that that was one that would just stop me in my tracks where i was just like picked it up started walking nibbled it and was like oh i should go back and talk about this cheese <laughs> so those those are two cheeses that really caught my eye perfect um favorite cheese pairing ah uh, Good. I mean, I like a wash rind with beer. Uh, I grew up in a very German area, so that's like classic. 
kind of, kind of the classic. Uh, one that I've been thinking about a lot that I haven't had in a while. So we do a, a cheese called Hudson Flower. It is a sheep's milk bloomy rind that we coat with hops and aromatic herbs um, on it. And that, that's a cheese that I don't typically enjoy by itself, but I love pairing it with things because the bitterness of the hops, I think, really um, pairs really well. And that cheese pairs great with a gin martini. Uh, which also I don't find a lot of cheeses that pair with gin martinis really well. So, I, and it's 90 degrees here in New York and it's Friday. So that, that was one that I was thinking about this morning. <laughs> You're like, I, you, I woke up thinking about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then last one, a top food memory. Doesn't have to necessarily be like what you ate or whatever. It could just be a time that you spent eating with people or. Top food memory. So it's not going to be a specific one, but I'm not a terrible, terribly big breakfast person. Um, I, don't, I don't usually get up very early and get out the door before I can start thinking about food and then I'm working and then it's lunchtime. Uh, but on the weekends lately, my partner and I have been spending time doing the, the New Yorker crossword puzzle together uh, and uh, just making a simple like you know, rustic sourdough toast with a little bit of nut butter of some kind and a jam and just like a different kind of combination every weekend. Uh, and I have been loving that. That's, that has been like great food, great way to start a Sunday morning. So uh, that's kind of been a top of mind as a food experience. I think that that's absolutely perfect because that is comforting and it's like what you enjoy doing. So like having dinner every night with my husband is definitely something that I enjoy on a regular basis. So um, is there anything that we did not talk about that you would like to make sure gets mentioned? Uh, no, eat more cheese. Uh, you know, I, I just saw that the world uh, dietary health recommendations are like 250 milligrams of or 250 grams of dairy uh, per per day, which is less. The only thing it's less than is vegetables um, for that. But so the, the world the world diet uh, should include more dairy. So. Eat more cheese. It's a good Eat way of getting cheese. it. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect food. It is. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me and thanks for um, working so hard in those caves and, you know, cold and wet conditions. <laughs> it's a joy. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having me on. This is this is great. I, I haven't had got to talk about Affinage in a little while. And it was also great meeting you at ACS. difficult to get across just how much work is involved in the making, aging, and selling of cheese. Even from the inside, these conversations with people at every level of the cheese sphere adds yet another layer. Thanks to Josh for sharing his role in the microcosm with us all. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha. Thank you to Ben Muha for allowing me to use your music. Follow along on my cheesy adventures at Instagram, Facebook, or directly on my website. Thanks for listening, and remember to keep spreading the word of good curds.